All right, what is good, everyone? We are on episode number nine. And we are going to be going over the Onassis family. That's right. Everybody knows about Jackie Onassis. <laughs> they don't know much about uh, her husband at the time, Aristotle Onassis. And the Onassis family. But we are going to cover them, of course, because they are one of the 13 illustrious council families. But I want to go over, of course, that two things. 90 to 95% of those that were either born into this satanic occult or were adopted into it have come out and are exposing them. And those 90 to 95% claim Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior and that his blood saves all. I do believe that myself as well, especially since they're going through so many different difficulties, as in satanic ritual abuse, disassociative identity disorder, different types of trauma, the list goes on. Uh, but we are also going to start off every episode, we've been doing this, reading off on the First and Tenth Amendment. We're also going to go over the Fifth Amendment for the masks. But the First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Amendment number five, as Amendment number one, states how we have the right to take what is rightfully ours, do. And now with eight, Amendment number five states how we do not have to wear a mask and we do not have to give reason to anyone whatsoever, even to law enforcement, about wearing a mask or not. Amendment number five says, No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless, in, unless on a presentment or indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the land or naval forces, or in the militia, when in actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. And then, of course, Amendment Number 10, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. We, the people, have the right. We are the ones that say what happens. Not the elites, okay? Not the satanic occult, all right? Not the career politicians, not the lobbyists, not the Federal Reserve Bank, none of them. Okay, the people. But, of course, we are going to go into the Onassis family and their background. And we're going to talk about how prevalent they are today. Of course, we always give that free advice of long-term generational wealth. And we're going to be talking about economic patterns of the elite. Our disclosure, or our disclaimer, really is that we are not financial advisors, we're not licensed, okay? We're not giving advice on how to make money on how to do this and how to do that except follow economic patterns. You do not need to be licensed to follow economic patterns and profit off of them. Nowhere has that ever been established in any country, any law. And anybody that has that, we'd love to see that. But here in America, there is no law of that just. But we are also not licensed attorneys. We are not licensed tax accountants, nor licensed tax attorneys, nor licensed asset protection specialists. So if you do have anything that has to do with your specific financial situation or anything to do with the law, with your business, as well as your taxes, please refer to your specialists that you so take care of yourself with them. 
And then we're, of course, we're going to give a free book that will go into how to build long-term generational wealth. I'm going to give an overview of the Onassis family. We're going to talk about how they established themselves through merchant business in Turkey and how the opium business began in Turkey to sell into China and Argentina. Now, we talked about how the Lee family, L-I, as it's spelled, are the ones that actually have been doing that throughout China. Uh, we're going to go into the beginning of how the opium business really started and how the drug business really started with the Onassis family. And then we're going to go in how they secured through a shipping fleet. And of course, one of the few was to execute the order of assassination on JFK and took his wife, Jackie. Aristotle was the one that did this. We're going to go into detail about that. But the three prominent members we'll be speaking about, and we're going to talk about Howard Hughes. We didn't talk much about him with uh, the Bundy family. Go back to that episode, as there's a little bit we talked about, because they weren't really prevalent with the with Howard Hughes. Onassis family is. Uh, so we're going to speak a bit about that. But the three people we're going to go over is Aristotle, Socrates, Onassis, Jackie Bouvier, or Bovier, Kennedy Onassis, and Stavros Nyarkos. So Aristotle, Socrates Onassis, named after two Greek philosophers, of course, went from being totally broke at age 21 to being a millionaire at age 23. His father's first name was Socrates. Aristotle was an illustrious council king, a shipping tycoon an intelligent, ruthless, hard-driving man, a man of the world who spoke a number of languages such as French, English, Spanish, Italian, and Turkish. He did marry JFK's widow, and his ever-present sunglasses made him look like Al Capone to a number of people. A lot of people saw him as a very powerful figure, but not as powerful as they realized. Now, Jackie Onassis, Jackie Kennedy Onassis, his father, was a member of the Society of the Cincinnati. And we talked about the Society of the Cincinnati, how they are a very dangerous cult. That Massachusetts legislator had stated they are a dangerous cult. And we went over that in previous episode. So go back and check that out. And we want you to listen to the others so that way you can understand the other families as well, which ties into all the secret organizations and societies. But moving on, uh, her father was the American equivalent of the Order of the Garter, which is the Society of the Cincinnati. But her father, which is called Blackjack, was corrupt, what is known as a womanizer, worked at making a living from the stock market. And moving on to Jackie's stepfather was the Auchincloss family, an elite family. And so her stepfather's second wife before Jackie's mother was Senator Thomas Gore's daughter. Okay, and then there, her stepfather was in naval intelligence. Jackie also went to the schools that the children of the elite go to. And on the anniversary of JFK's assassination, Orville and Jane Freeman of the Freeman family were the only ones to remember the date to say or do something about it. And so Jackie went that day to Central Park and had a good cry because of such. And then there's also Stavros Nyarkos, was Aristotle's brother-in-law, and Ari's business competition. So Stavros' parents came from Sparta, Greece. His relatives were rich, and Stavros went into shipping and, after World War II, broke out, left Greece to avoid having to fight for Greece. He's a close friend of Colgate Roosevelt and Bernard Baruch, who he would get this invite to his house on Long Island. He rented his Long Island house from Harry Hopkins, who was the man who told President F.D. Roosevelt what to do. 
even though he was a millionaire, he had a difficult time avoiding to serve. Eventually, he managed to get himself situated as a naval officer in intelligence for Greece in Alexandria, Egypt. Information sent into 1969 to 70, the Who's Who reference book about his wartime exploits are fictitious. Nyarkos and Aristotle were friends from 1934 onward, but also at times enemies as they were trying to outdo each other, as the illustrious council does that over and over again with each other. But both frequently went to St. Moritz, Switzerland, a ski resort. Stavros also frequents an old Medici family palace, an estate near Turin, where the Duke of Edinburgh and Baron Elie de Rothschild like to go and shoot birds. The estate has many, and it isn't unusual for them to kill a thousand a day. Stavros is an important leader of the Bilderbergers and a billionaire. He married Henry Ford II's daughter, who was 38 years younger than he was, which is why you see those <laughs> old dudes with young women, and divorced her shortly afterwards. He worked closely with David Rockefeller on top of that. Now, to give this detail, Dennis Brunel was a grandmaster of an OTO lodge, but was disillusioned by them. Okay? He was the one who exposed what was going on and how the Onassis family is one of the top 13 families. And then he passed away on June 13th, 2014. Also, on Instagram, Stavros Nyarkos, which is the son, has 455 followers. And the Stavros Nyarkos Foundation, which is S-N-F-O-R-G, is a nonprofit organization that says on their Instagram page, SNF funds organizations and projects worldwide aiming to achieve a broad, lasting, and positive impact for society. And they have 28.8 thousand followers. Now, speaking on the connection and history of Turkey plays a major role with the Onassis family. The use of drugs to create religious experiences was developed to a fine art by various occult fraternal and mystery religion groups in the Turkey area. Okay, The assassins from where we get the word hashish controlled parts of Turkey and Lebanon in medieval times. They used drugs to gain allegiance of their recruits this way. And some of the most powerful figures for the illustrious council have been Turks. And we're going to mention that with the Rothschild. But not here, when we talk about them. The Grand Orient had some powerful figures in Turkey. Yes, I know, I just repeated that. Sometimes I have dyslexia, <laughs> I think. I don't know, I've been diagnosed, but bear with me sometimes, we all make mistakes, but that's who authenticity is for, right? <laughs> the Masonic Congress of all the Grand Orient's Grand Lodges. Bo Ahmed came from Turkey. The Grand Lodge of Asia was represented by Sebek Kadir from Asia. Bo Ahmed took a big role in the Grand Orient's decisions. Now, men like Ahmed Pasha and many of the other Pasha family have been leaders within Freemasonry and the illustrious council. Ahmed Pasha was a Satanist and had a large, <laughs> not kidding, large harem, Mehemet, Talat, Pasha. All right, so he did have, it's insane. Harem, if you're not familiar with, is basically related to cult. But moving on to Mehemet Talat Pasha, who was part of it, born in 1872, died in 1921, was a Freemason and part of the Turkish Revolution of 1908. And he was the leader of the Young Turks, which was a joint project of this, get this, of the Sufis and the Frankist Satanists. As people have probably heard, as some of you have, Sebastian Frankism 
Okay, there's Sabatai Zevi, and then there's Jacob Frank. Both of them basically said, oh, you can commit every evil act and nothing bad will happen to you. Just cover it with all these good deeds. And that's what David Icke actually read up on and studied upon. So that's where a lot of this evil comes from, is Sabbatian Frankism. Now, on a side note of the Grand Orient in the United States, the Grand Orient was originally strong in Louisiana, but spread itself to many other U.S. locations. President Garfield, a very powerful man in the Grand Orient, managed to become U.S. president because the political process got deadlocked at the convention and the Masons suggested him as a compromise candidate. Although Garfield was an extremely powerful Mason, had been perhaps the youngest general in the United States Army during the Civil War. The illustrious council ordered him shot after he had served about a year in office as president. Garfield was reported by an eyewitness to the satanic rituals to have participated in the cannibalistic rites of Satanism done to gain the spiritual power of the eaten person, which is actually what Hillary Clinton has done, and many others have done, where they extract the penal gland for adrenochrome. But... The Grand Orient Freemasonry has been linked to other orders of Freemasonry that are also Rosicrucians. We went over this in previous episodes. Uh, Pope John XXIII joined a Rosicrucian group that had links to European Freemasonry when he was in Turkey. And yes, we're going to talk about Catholicism, but not with the Onassis family, we're going to talk about them with the Rockefeller family in the next episode. Now, Mehmet Talat Pasha was the Grand Master of the Grand Orient of Turkey. He was held the political position in Turkey of Grand Vizier of Turkey from 1917 to 1918. Another Turkish Pasha was part of the Turkish royalty running Egypt when Egypt was part of the Ottoman Empire. His name was Khedive Ismail Pasha and he was Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of Egypt. It was this Turk, Khadiv Ismail Pasha, who gave the famous obelisk to the United States. This obelisk was called Cleopatra's Needle, and was originally erected in the city of the Sun, Heliopolis, in about 1500 BC. The obelisk is a representation of a human penis. Not kidding, because this is a part of sun worship, worship of regeneration, which is sex, and worship of the sun god, Satan, were all tied together. Masons helped with the moving of the obelisk and its dedication when it arrived in New York City. Large obelisks have been erected by Masons in New York, Washington, D.C., Paris, the Vatican, and London. Every morning, when the United States president wakes up, he can look out the window and see the Masonic obelisk and be reminded of who controls America. Oh, get this. The president has any training in the mystery religion of ancient Egypt. He will also know what body part is symbolically erected in the Washington Memorial. Now, the illustrious council set up the British East India Company to take control of the opium trade and was responsible for the creation of the Fabian Society. Now, it was John Jacob Astor, as we spoke about John Jacob Astor in the first episode, that got supplied in Smyrna, Turkey, with opium to sell in China, under the guise of selling tobacco. The Onassis family was one of the top three merchant families in Smyrna, as Socrates Onassis, until 1922, quietly ran a banking operation from their home, which had a large amount of money left by powerful Turks. Later on, under Aristotle, taking control of the family business, was managing the drug, porn, political, business side of the illustrious council. Now, during the Turkish genocide of the Greek Turks, Aristotle was sent to Argentina to avoid it, upon which he got a job as a dishwasher at... Here, get this. Corre Corrientes and... <clears throat> 
excuse me, Talcahuano in Buenos Aires. Then in 1924, this is where it gets related. Went to work. Not kidding. In 1924, for the Rothschild, British United River Plate Telephone Company. After a few years, Juan Gawana started placing orders through Aristotle to his father for opium under the tobacco cover. Aristotle had his misfortunes for taking the BIS cigarette manufacturing name for his own because he started that as his own manufacturing cigarette company. Then he was sued by BIS, but he still got away with taking a vast majority of the wealth. Now here, Hitler's Reich Bank president was Hjalmar Scott, which is spelled S-C-H-A-C-H-T, and Hjalmar Scott was hired by Aristotle after World War II to help with his shipyard in Germany build more tankers. All right, Onassis was an extremely close friend of Winston Churchill. The Freemason Winston Churchill is a descendant of a family that has been part of the elite that have secretly run the world, which is what we're talking about, the 13. Winston Churchill, on several occasions, told Onassis that the only one he could trust in World War II was Joseph Stalin. Winston Churchill spent a great deal of the time on Onassis's yacht, Christina. Onassis was also friendly with Winston Churchill's friend of Bernard Baruch. It was Bernard Baruch who convinced Winston Churchill to join the illustrious council conspiracy. He asked Churchill to come watch something important in New York in 1929. Hmm, why 1921? 29. I wonder why. <laughs> and then he showed Churchill how they could destroy the stock market. Yeah. That's why. That show of power brought Churchill on board. I mean, some people would because of that reason. But two other Illuminati or illustrious council friends of Ari Onassis were Joseph Kennedy and Peter Grace. Gianni Angeli, a powerful man in the illustrious council, spent time on a number of occasions on Onassis' yacht, Christina while it was in the Riviera. Now, years before JFK became president, Onassis had JFK and Winston Churchill on his yacht at the same time. That's right, both of them. And we talked about JFK in the Kennedy episode, but we're going to talk about the assassination of him more so here, because Onassis's more so, Aristotle is behind it. But hold on to your horses. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Because in 1928, the illustrious councilmen who controlled the major oil companies got together at, get this, Aknakari Castle and formally created the Aknakari Agreement, which divided up the world into an international cartel. This is why you may have watched the same gas truck bring gas to all the different gas stations in an area. For instance, say a Sinclair station, a BP station, which is Rothschild, and an Exxon station, Rockefeller. If the reader of what we're going through, I'm talking about, because this comes from Fritz Springmeier. He's the one that did the full in-depth research and was falsely imprisoned by him. And there's less than 12,000 people that understand this information, and all the more reason why I'm bringing this out. He states this, that if you were to understand the world's oil was totally in an illustrious council monopoly by 1928, it'll help you understand that Aristotle, who was the man who built the largest oil tanker ships, was also illustrious council. In one year alone during the 1950s, Onassis brought 17 new tankers. You can't do that without <laughs> without having that amount of power. Not even the biggest oil industries are able to do that. In a year. Now, 
to put that into perspective, it costs in terms of dollar amount for one shipping rig in the nine-figure range, which is the $100 million range for just one. All right. Now, one of the most telling paper trail signs that the conspiracy is left behind was an executive order that FDR signed just after Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. We went over this on the previous episode about Executive Order 9066, and we're going to go into a little more detail here as well. The Executive Order was a semi-secret amendment to Trading with the Enemy Act, which made it legal to trade with the enemy if the Secretary of the Treasury, which was then Hans Morgenthau, gave permission. Morgenthau was a tool of the conspiracy, and of course gave permission to the top illustrious council to trade with the enemy. In 1983, a book came out, Trading with the Enemy, which exposes how the elite secretly kept Hitler going by supplying him, rebuilding his communications, and so on. Okay, Onassis is an illustrious council king, worked with other elites as Rockefeller, Kennedy, Getty, like John Paul Getty, to quietly make a profit and keep the war going longer. Onassis sold oil and guns to both sides. That's what they do. They work on both sides. ITT telephones were used in German submarines. Hence the reason why I worked in the phone company with the British, Rothschild Company. Now, this executive order, 9066, shows that at their at the top, there is a conspiracy. Okay, get this, because there were 450 merchant ships owned by Greeks before World War II. Of those, Aristotle said 410 were sunk during the war. What? The official count was 360. But either way, it's clear the amount that the most of the Greek shippers lost, their large merchant ships. But the German submarines and aircraft never once touched Aristotle ships, although they sailed through war zones. Neither did the Allies. Okay, Aristotle alone didn't suffer any losses during this time. When they suffer losses, all 13 members, when they do, it's very rare. But Aristotle's large fleet did not lose a single ship, even the ones that were in Scandinavia when the Germans invaded. Only the full collaboration at the highest levels could have pulled this one off. To say that you lost that many ships and you really didn't. Now, we did, like I said, we spoke about Howard Hughes with the Bundy family as they were had involvement, but very little involvement. But it was the Anassas family that killed not only Howard Hughes, but JFK as well. Which is how we're going to merge the two because it works co coercively, coincidentally. <laughs> There's no such thing as coincidences, but this is uh, one that really isn't a coincidence. If that makes sense. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. There's no coincidences. That's why we're getting all the links together for this. Just wanted to make you think there a little bit. <laughs> but anyway, Onassis infiltrated his own men into Hughes' organization. Chester Davis was from Sicily, and although he worked for Hughes, took orders from Onassis. In 1955, Hughes had obtained two doubles, one named L. L. Wayne Rector and the other Brooks Randy. And in March 1957, Onassis' men at the Beverly Hills Hotel captured Howard Hughes, using Hughes' own disloyal men. Hughes was seriously hurt in this kidnapping for that, and it's believed at this point he was taken to Emerald Isle Hotel in the Bahamas, as the top floor was rented for the Hughes party. For a month, the captive Hughes was shot full of heroin and then secretly transported to his cell on Onassis's private island of Scorpios. Hughes 
two doubles stayed on under the pay of Onassis. One became Hughes and the other became Hughes' double. Computer programs, which can duplicate signatures, were used to provide Hughes' signature. The computer and its program used for duplicating Hughes' signature even became public in knowledge when the LA Times had an article on January 1st, 28th, sorry, on January 28th, 1971, about a computer which had been programmed to write the signature of Hughes. Get this, the Mormon Mafia. Yes, the Mormons have a mafia. If you're listening to this and you're a Mormon and you don't know that there's a mafia, you're in for a real treat learning more about the illustrious council and what they really do to control the world. But the Mormon Mafia that supposedly guarded Hughes actually ran the Hughes Empire for Illuminatus Onassis, which accounts for the change in policies that were made by Hughes Empire. It also explains why they bought up every newsreel they could find on Hughes in order to duplicate voice prints using computers. Now, when they were through with the double, L. Wayne Rector, they shot him at Rothschild's Inn on the park in London. Because they can. And they will. So, here's a crazy thing. In a meeting with fellow Satanists, Joseph Kendi, in September 1957, the decision was taken to use the Mafia's power to get John F. Kennedy elected. The Mafia was caught in Chicago, tampering big time with the voting. But Nixon was denied a recount of the votes. Nixon backed off from making a fuss because he was promised the chance to be president later, which he was. Illinois Republicans made an official recount of 699 paper ballot precincts in Cook County and came up with the vote in favor of Nixon, as those votes would have changed Illinois' electoral votes and thrown the victory to Nixon. However, Sam Giancana, which we talked about in previous episodes, and we're going to talk about in more episodes, Sam Giancana and his henchman, Mayor Richard DeLay, or Daly, we're not about to let an official recount take place. So in 1961, Joseph Kennedy had a stroke and John Kennedy and Robert, get this, feeling their freedom and disliking some of the powerful illustrious council like Aristotle and Nassus, decided to use their popularity to destroy the conspiracy. That's why they were both killed. And we're gonna get to that here. It's believed that Kennedy and Robert had more courage to take on the conspiracy due to the fact that they were familiar with it from having been on the inside of it during their days growing up. However, neither son had received the illustrious council training and indoctrination that their older brother had when they died. Now, Joseph made a mistake when he decided to replace Joe Jr. with John, okay? This, the mistake out of this was that JFK may have seemed like he was a good, illustrious council president, but he actually thought for himself. He had a mind for his own. He thought for himself because he was young and with the impetuousness and vigor of youth. And with the popularity he had, he had the possibility to do some good for this nation. Kennedy didn't recognize Red China. That was Nixon. Okay? Kennedy didn't triple the national debt. No, that was Reagan. Okay? The CIA has been out to get JFK ever since they realized JFK didn't view himself as their puppet, but that he viewed himself as their boss. The head of the CIA on purpose ruined the CIA's. Okay, get this. The head of the CIA on purpose ruined the CIA's chances to succeed at the Bay of Pigs. He personally prevented the CIA air cover from taking off, which the CIA knew that without air support, the operation had no chance, which was soon proved correct. In everyone's zeal to get JFK, they blamed him. Uh, two powerful friends who liked JFK and wanted to help him fight the elite were taken out before Kennedy was assassinated. Senator Estes Kefavor, 
whose crime commission had discovered the 1932 deal that Onassis, Kennedy, Mayer, Roosevelt, Lansky, and other illustrious council mafia figures had made. Kefavor was poisoned so that a secret poison-induced so-called heart attack on August 8, 1963. One suspect that might have done it was his subordinate, Bernard Fensterwald, who was also a CIA assassin. Okay, The other was Philip Graham. His wife, Catherine Mayer Graham, has been a full participant of the conspiracy and shows up repeatedly in elite activities. Kathleen bribed some psychiatrists to certify her husband, who was editor of the Washington Post, was insane. He was ordered by a judge into a mental hospital. And when he was allowed to visit home on weekends, he was found so-called suicided by a shotgun. Bobby Kennedy had a good idea who shot his brother. That's why he wrote the unpublished book called The Enemy Within and was later too assassinated. Actually, really, the whole establishment were out to get Kennedy, and even George Bush was involved with the assassination. Yes, George H.W. Bush. <laughs> Just so you know, the Bush family is going to be going down real hard because they're a part of the whole elite conspiracy. As a side note there. Now, when World War II broke out on September 3rd, 1939, Onassis was living in Savoy Hotel, where the headquarters of the illustrious Council's Pilgrim Society are. The British London Times backed Onassis in his dispute with Peru over whaling. Onassis did finally get himself into trouble with illegal whaling when the nation of Norway gathered the evidence of his lulling of hundreds of whales that were illegal to hunt. Just two more quick examples of his social connections in Britain are his attendance at John Paul Getty's party at Sutton Palace in England, sorry, Sutton Place in England in the 1950s, and Onassis's own big party for the elite on June 7th, 17th, 1958, at Dorchester, England. Now, there's no way of knowing how many meetings took place dealing with the planning of the assassination of Kennedy. The first were high-level illustrious council meetings, but the illustrious council meetings were not operational-level meetings. There were several levels of meetings. Next, a series of meetings by British intelligence at Trial Compound at Montego Bay, Jamaica, and mafia meetings at who knows where else. A minor trading company called Permindex was the cover to an assassination bureau that had its major U.S. subsidiary, the International Trade Mart in New Orleans. The FBI's Division 5 was tied in with Permindex, and Permindex's board of directors had UN posts, mafia positions, European banking ties, Nazi ties, and the list goes on after that. Now, in other words, Permindex was well-connected. By the time the planning was done, it included certain elements of the CIA and Freemasons. A major, get this, Major Lewis Mortimer Bloomfield, Permindexer's president and chairman, a key player in Hoover's Division 5, and a member of the Order of St. John of Jerusalem, which is the Protestant branch of the Knights of Malta, was a homosexual lover of FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. All the board of Permindex and many of its various subsidiaries were in various areas in November 1963, carrying out the assassination and cover-up. One of the covers for the Permindex operators teams was to pose as missionaries of the American Council of Christian Churches. That's ACCC. The whole reason the elite set up the extensive ACCC was to have a cover for their killing units. For instance, a group of, of about 30 of the best marksmen were undercover as part of ACCC Missionary School in Puebla, Mexico. The Tolstoy Foundation, which Fritz Springmeier has visited, were another pseudo-Christian front. Later, the headquarters of this assassination group was shifted to Paradise Island, Grand Bahamas to intern and get this, international. Now, Ian Fleming's novels write about a third force used to create a world government that was based 
in the resort islands of the Caribbean, and in the westerns put out by Hollywood, when the bad guy does something to the good guy, he runs off with his woman. That's exactly what happened to JFK. Onassis was one of the illustrious council kings who decided JFK must go, and he got to run off with the dead man's wife. Onassis had already gotten Jackie onto his yacht sexually prior to Kennedy's assassination. Franklin Roosevelt Jr. was on board together with Aristotle and Jackie. Jackie didn't enjoy her marriage to Onassis. At one point in their marriage, when they were swimming nude at Onassis' island, Scorpios, ten photographers, Photographers with underwater cameras and telephoto lens captured Jackie naked, and her picture was splashed across Playman and Hustler and everywhere else. Jackie was furious and wanted her husband to sue the newspapers and magazines, which he refused to do a year before Aristotle died. He actually admitted that he planned the whole operation. The date given for the actual Howard Hughes death who had been kept prisoner under horrendous conditions by Onassis, was April 18, 1971. In the previous year, 1970, Hughes' purported autobiography had come out written by Clifford Irving. Clifford Irving's wife took the publisher's check made out to Howard Hughes to one of Onassis' Swiss banks and was paid. But to moving on to the uh, Onassis and finishing up with them, Onassis' second wife, Aristotle's second wife, was Tina, who is Athena Mary Onassis. When she divorced her husband for committing adultery, said, quote, It is almost 13 years since Mr. Onassis and I were married in New York City. Since then, he has become one of the world's richest men, but his wealth has not brought me happiness with him, nor, as the world knows, has it brought ha him happiness with me. Tina divorced, and that was end quote. Tina divorced Ari and then went on to marry, <laughs> get this, a relative of Winston Churchill, the Marquis of Blandford. Later she divorced him and married her older brother-in-law, Stavros Nyarkos, in May 1971. But after he killed her sister, she quit him too. Eugenic the sister-in-law of Arionassis died according to the official version of an overdose of sleeping pills. Now, her body in the post-mortem was covered with bruises, black left eye, swelling on the left temple, a hemorrhage to the left of the lar larynx, and so forth down the rest of her body. Both Stavros Nyarkos and Aristotle Onassis married Yuvanos girls. Yuvanos' family was a prominent family on the Turkish island of Chios. The island of Chios had a type of tree, mastic trees, that produced an early form of chewing gum. Now, from the word mastic is where we get the word masticate. Chios was the private property of the sultan, and it was where he kept his harem. Okay, the island was given special royal treatment and allowed to have it full of chewing gum and booze and broths. Yuvano's family was one of the leading families on this island. And references to this is Fritz Springmeier doing interviews and his own research upon this, as well as genealogy compiled from research notes on Frischauer Willie. Onassis, New York, Meredith Press, 1968, Heyman, C. David, A Woman Named Jackie, New York, Carol, Communication, 1989, Lily Doris, as well as Those Fabulous Greeks, Onassis, Nearchos, and Levanos, New York, Cowell's Book Company, 1970. Now, the reason we're bringing out this information is because it already was brought out, but Fritz Springmeier is out and about and doing well with his wife, but he was falsely imprisoned by the illustrious council because of the research he did. 
but we're bringing this information out even more into light because there's less than 12,000, again, like we've mentioned, that know nothing about this information. Nothing whatsoever. And it's imperative. We all hear about this and learn about this. Know about it. But of course, we're here for the long-term generational wealth. Yes, that's right. We're going to talk about the economic patterns of the elite. And to go into this, we're going to give another free stock to invest in, which is called Lifetime Brands. And you can look it up as the symbol LCUT. And then last time it was checked today, it was $7.20 a share. And to really go in depth as to how to go into profiting like the elite do, when you see precious metal prices increase, you'll see the U.S. dollar decrease. Okay? The way that you can also see how we are in a pattern is because the inflation. If you look at the U.S. 30, it's increased 112% since 1997 from debt inflation. Okay, that, that, that's insanity. Insanity. To further go on about the financing and taxation and inflation, how we really are repeating history. Okay, when you look at history, it repeats itself because they use the problem-reaction-solution, create a problem for people to react to and come in with a solution looking like a hero. Those who control the past control the future, control the present. So a lot of people don't understand the past because the past is controlled by those that control it are controlling the future. So to put it more in perspective here, in order for us to prosper, we need to have fiscal management synonymous in prosperity. Okay? And the one thing you can also see how in order to be fearful of financial times is financial advisors believe there's unlimited wealth. So right now during this pandemic, there's so many people that believe there's such an unlimited wealth. That means you want to stay away from it. You don't want to touch it. So when there is a crash and everybody is fearing, that's when you can profit. Now, unless you have a good deal of wealth already, that's when you sell it. That's when you get rid of it. But if you're starting out, don't touch it. Don't even think about it. Unless you have the ability to have a physical resource as collateral to hold up that financial resource that you have, don't go for it. You're going to put yourself in a hole. Debt is an enslavement. Okay? Unless you know how to use debt to your advantage, don't use it. Okay? Unless you know how to build business by using debt and know how to hold yourself with physical resources, don't do it. Why? Because, <clears throat> get this, when the gold standard was taken off of the dollar in 1971, we're going to relate to how back in Diocletian's time, as we mentioned on the previous episode of Diocletian, there was a new coinage that was accepted that fixed against the gold and silver. Okay, So gold was taken off the dollar in 1971, which means it's fixed against gold and silver, which is why when the dollar goes down, precious metals go up. All right, But when you have a new currency, new money currency, that f fixes itself with the precious metal, the debasement ceases, and the government financial ministers will not look at inflation. But because of so, the government financial ministers or economists expect inflation to level off. 
they're going to they're even talking about how there is a stagflation because of how prices are rising um unemployment going through the roof and more money printed because of such but the book that's going to help that's going to put it all into perspective on how to really take back the power to us people. And we want to be very cautious about this book because you read it in the wrong way, you will go down the path of being a, an Adolf Hitler. Which is why mentioning you need a moral guidebook. And the best one to do that is the Bible. Now, if you don't want to read the Bible, that's fine. That's your choice. We have no judgment against anyone for what they believe. We have a judgment against those who fake what they believe in order to profit and hurt others. That is our problem. But make sure you have a moral standpoint and a moral book to make sure you do not fall into the trap of darkness. But this next book is called The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. And this is actually what has brought about a lot of celebrities, such as Drake, Kanye West, and 50 Cent. 50 Cent actually wrote the next book, which is called The 50th Law of Power. That one I don't really recommend because it's just talking about how to gain confidence Really, you just need to gain confidence for yourself. That's all it really boils down to. So if you don't know how to gain confidence, just look for different ways that you can see that will help you build that. Because it's different for everyone. So I'm not going to say there's one specific way. But there are different ways on how to build your confidence. But the 48 Laws of Power is not all the powers that are in gaining power itself. There are just 48 different ways of building power okay but when you build them correctly you will be able to have that power and you will be able to do well but don't think of yourself as a god because none of us are the only ones that think they're gods are the ones that are the followers of satan the illustrious council of 13 they're taught that but, of course, that's why we're here to give you the information that the elites so profit off of hardworking individuals that they create the system for people to work in, to be enslaved in debt, to be enslaved in working for money to be enslaved in buying a house under a payment plan, to be enslaved in benefits, to have a so-called future, which does not exist, is something that they have created. So that's why we're here to learn about long-term generational wealth, how to build it just like them, but doing this for God's purposes, doing it to help unify everyone, building long-term generational wealth with everyone, to unify and fight back against this satanic, tyrannical force. But until next time, appreciate you all. So glad that you tune in and taking the time to learn and understand all this information. Catch you all out. Peace.